Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Gozanski, and I'm really happy that you're joining me here. Today's guest on our podcast is the multifaceted Jamie Volt-Muller. Jamie wears multiple hats with great finesse, juggling between her roles as a licensed clinical social worker, EMDR therapist, owner of Long Island EMDR, and co-owner of Brave Counseling and Psychiatry. And when I say juggling, I really mean it. She is popping in here in the middle of an EMDR intensive just to record this episode. (laughs) Jamie is a voice of insight and empathy as she hosts the highly relatable podcast, Good Enough with the Trauma Therapist. She helps parents break cyclical patterns of trauma, advocating for a balance between caring for themselves and others. We are going to talk about the tough but rewarding jobs of being a mom, a therapist, and an entrepreneur. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you, Cindy. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so happy that we could arrange this. I love that you've listened to my podcast. I've listened to your podcast. So we've got a mutual fan club going. Yeah. And as my favorite question to ask to start off is... What does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? Oh, goodness. So for me, being a heart-centered therapist, I I think when I think heart-centered, I think authentic and empathic, right? At its core for me, it's about being relatable, right? And to our clients and being authentic about who we are. As a trauma kid myself, so I, I specialize in trauma work. I love working with moms and people with imposter syndrome because it's my own stuff. And I think that I've been in a lot of therapy in my life and I had a lot of therapists that were not great, (laughs) just not great. They were not, they didn't challenge. They were validating, 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 validating. It, It instilled this feeling of like hopelessness because yes, everything in your life is chaotic and oh yeah, you have no control and these things are happening to you and just getting validation and not getting the challenging of where are you in this? Where is your role and everything made me feel hopeless as a client, as a kid. Until I had a therapist that was more my style. She's a blunt therapist. So she's more of a, she's validating and she's caring and she's compassionate and she shows up for you and she's there, but she calls you on your nonsense and does it in a loving way, because if you don't have that insight, if you don't have someone calling you out and they're just co-signing, we don't make any growth. For me, heart-centered is about doing the best interest for my clients, being authentically me, showing up as like, I don't pretend to have my, can I say shit? Yes. Okay. I don't pretend to have my shit together for my clients. Like they know if I'm having a hard day and I, and I don't have a poker face, Sydney, like you can read it on my face. I'm just one of those, right? I'm very lucky that I've worked with clients long enough that when people tell me sad things like that, I can stay mindful because I think that's really important to not make people feel like, oh, poor you. Cause I know it's a trigger for me, but I also think it's, if they say something, if you have a client come in and they're like, oh, my husband did this thing again. And when you're like in that with that client where you feel that groove of, oh, he did it again. Like that camaraderie. I think it's just about being real with people. And that makes them feel connected to you because they feel like they can trust you because you're not wearing a mask. And I found for my clients that when I take the mask off and I be myself and don't pretend to have it together, they feel 10 times more comfortable doing that as well and not hiding all of the things that they feel guilty and shameful and bad about. And working with a lot of parents and moms, we have a lot of shame sometimes about how we conduct ourselves, like that we yelled at our kids or that we forgot this big event. And 
we hold all that in because we don't want people to judge us. But when you come across as, oh yeah, I've done that too. I feel like there's just this weight that leaves the room of, oh, okay, we could just be ourselves here. If that does not make sense, I'm sorry. That was awesome. This is no, it's long and it's so good. And I'm just like, yes. So you want to hear more from Jamie because this is so spot on, right? I got the warm fuzzies, like just feeling how relatable you are and that we could take our mask off. And yes, like when we just get in that groove with our clients and, oh, really? He did that again? Being relatable is such an important part of a heart-centered therapy approach. And I love that. And I really also want to acknowledge you for what you described about needing to have that gentle confrontation or being called on your shit. And you know what? That's a really high level therapy move, right? That's some skill that takes a while to learn to deliver it in a way that's in the best interest of your client. And you had a great therapist and you took lessons from her and now you're rocking it too. And I think when I first started out as a therapist too, right? Because most of us therapists, I really feel like almost every person I know that's a therapist that got in this field, we did it because we want to help people. Most of us are hardcore people pleasers and we like neglect our own needs and we're like, oh, my stuff is bad. But if I focus on everyone else's, then that makes me feel good. And I'll just ignore all my stuff. There's so many truth bonds right there. Most of us are hardcore people pleasers in this field. We are. But then what what happens when I was, I, I doesn't, for my employees, for me as a therapist, I feel like because I had a therapist that confronted me and challenged me and was like, what's your role? Even at 14, 15, 16, she's yeah, okay. The situation sucks, but can you go get a job? Can Mm. you schedule more stuff outside of the house? Can you focus on how you're going to make your life better when you get out of here and, and what is in your control right now? And that made me feel better. So I always took that into therapy with me, but being a supervisor of clinicians, who are also hardcore people pleasers, I've had to work with my clinicians when they first come on, a lot of them on, I know that you're worried this client is feels hopeless and you don't want to say, yeah, but this is your role, but mm. you're telling me that. And how are they going to change it if you don't have that, conf- like that warm confrontation with them of, hey, I know this feels hopeless, but have you ever thought about what if you changed just this one piece One of the things that with the people pleasers in the core beliefs we tend to have is I'm not good enough and I'm responsible. Mm. Every people pleaser I know resonates with those two. What we tend to forget is the I'm alone. And I feel like when we think about people pleasers, most people don't think I'm alone because we're surrounded by people. We don't think that consciously. Yeah. And we always have somebody else in front of us that we have to please. So we don't really feel that alone. Except that we are alone because what comes down to it and and doing EMDR, love it because it just changes the way that our brain makes connections. It's great. But I've realized that at the core for most of these people is this feeling of I'm alone. And it's not truly alone. There's no one around me. It's I'm alone. I can't ask anyone for help. I can't get my feelings and needs met. If I even ask, I'm going to be shamed, guilted, put down in some way. So it's not safe. So they keep operating in this place of, I can't get my feelings and needs met and chronically feeling not good enough. But the problem at the root of it is these people are not telling people what they feel, how they feel or what they need. And they're not setting boundaries or asking for that help. And they're expecting the people around them that they do everything in the world for to just know what they need and what they want, right? And do it for them. And then when they don't, it's no one does it for me. So I must really not be good enough or my feelings and needs really don't matter because they're not addressing them. And it's, but are you telling them to anyone? Are you telling anyone what's going on with you? The shame cycle takes over and you can't tell. Yeah. So it's really like at the core, it's like learning as a child, we might've felt alone. We might've had a single mom or a parent with mental illness or a sibling that had mental health or medical issues that you were very responsible for. And you might've had to really step up and hold the whole house together and be the strong one because no one else was going to do it. But as an adult, you don't got to do that. And I think that's like the, that's what I love about what we do is helping people realize that what our brains tell us, our thoughts Mm -hmm. are just 
thoughts. They're not based in fact. They might have been a fact in 1995, but they're not a fact in 2023. <laughs> yes, that's so beautiful, Jamie. And it's really, it's such an eloquent and relatable way of explaining how we help our clients see that they have options, expand their range of options and possibilities, right, in life. And that's so important. And I resonate so much with what you're saying about the aloneness, especially for you as an EMDR and trauma therapist, and I do trauma work. And somebody had recently shared, like, part of the core of what we do is undoing aloneness. And I love that phrase, undoing aloneness, right? Like that just, it just, it hits it's what is so much a part of our work as therapists and what we need to do more as human beings in our world. Yeah, it's helping people learn how to build meaningful relationships and connections, right? It's that attachment repair. That's really the core of therapy. We are that ideal relationship where they can come in and you can cuss me out and you can say, I'm fucking pissed. What what you told me to do last week didn't work. Or we did a session and I had nightmares for two days and I'm pissed at you. And I'll be like, that really sucks. And I empathize and I'm here and I'm going to support you. And it's okay to be frustrated with me. And I validate the fact and I appreciate the fact that you are coming to me with your feelings. And my clients are like, oh, okay. And then they immediately calm down because they're not used to that. We are that holding space where that healing relationship where people learn how to relate and feel connected and not alone. Yes. And you see them and you give them that permission to be themselves, which you model for them as a very kind of no mask therapist, which is so great. (laughs) No mask. I couldn't if I tried, Sydney. I have tried. And I just, it's written on my face. It's in my tone. It's in the hesitation when I go to like, when I go to say the nice thing, like even the white lies, Mm, you know, when you go to just placate people, like I always hesitate. I'm not a good liar. So I just have to be me or it comes across as so much more like inauthentic, even if I'm trying to be helpful, that I'm like, I'm just going to embrace who I am. And the people who like me will like me and the people who don't. And mm-hmm. as therapists, I think it's really important for us to remember that you're not going to be a perfect therapist for every client. A hundred percent. Right. It's okay to, it's okay to be you and then be like, oh, my approach might be a little too pushy, I guess is the word. I, I don't know. Confrontational for every client. And that might not work for every client. Some people might need that really warm, a million validations before they're ready to let that guard down. Right. They may not people, be ready yet. Yeah. But those aren't my tribe. My tribe are the mm-hmm. hardcore want to make a change, have insight on my behavior. I'm tired of doing the same thing all the time. And I just want you to tell me, help me figure out my crazy life and, and come up with a strategy to fix it. Those are the people I enjoy working with. Why modulate who I am to accommodate a client that's not going to be an ideal fit for me? Because I'm not going to do all that work with that client either. Exactly. And Jamie, that just shows that you will be, you will work with really hard clients because they're the ones that bring all of this to you and say, plop it on your lap. Now, what do I do now? But they're open to having that guidance and to trying things with your validation and all of that. Yeah. So I don't like, I definitely, I love challenging cases. I, for me, like a clinical puzzle. It's like, ooh, this happened here and this happened here. And how do we weave all this together and undo the that famous therapy picture of like the ball of yarn and like mm. the therapist is like un, unraveling it. Right. Like that's really what we're doing with those complex cases. And as an entrepreneur, I when I started out, I used to see 40 clients a week. I'm a workhorse. I've always been a workhorse. It's a, I think it's a New Yorker thing. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a trauma kid thing. Maybe it's a, I think it's a little of all those things. Yeah. A generational immigrant thing. I don't know. I got to work at the girl, but now I don't get to see as many clients because I have so many other responsibilities. So if I'm going to work with people, I want them to be a challenge. I want to learn. Oh, I want to go right there with you. I'm right there with you because we're going to talk about, you have two group practices, one group practice with two locations and then another group practice that you co-own, which is in an entirely different state. So that's crazy. But (laughs) I'm just with you too. I have a small group practice, but I'm also like seeing clients, but then I have to cut back on my clients and I don't want to completely do that. And so then the clients I have, I want them to be challenging, really inspiring clients to work with. 
So yeah, it, I get it. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I totally feel you. And I think that the, the hard part about being a group owner is balancing the many different hats that you have to wear. And I know for me that honestly, again, I'm, I'm a very open person, guys. This is a hard year for us. It was a hard year for me personally. It was a hard year on the business. Like we had a lot of staff turnover. We made a lot of like policy changes that maybe everyone was in agreement with, but it also was a really big learning year. And I was feeling so burnt this year. And even this week, like I'm coming up on changing over benefits packages and compensation structures and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I felt like I was drowning this week, girl. But to be fair, my team, my clinical director is eight months pregnant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love her. She's my first hire, Alexandria Baxter. She's phenomenal. But she is super pregnant and on, on her, during her pregnancy, she can't take her medication that usually helps her manage her anxiety. And when I'm super stressed, I talk a million miles a minute Mm -hmm. and it drives the girl nuts. So I'm like, I can't go to Alex because I can't put this on her. She's pregnant. It's not, I can't do her. Too much. And then my operations director, who's my other, helps me run the day to day, just had a baby in September and she doesn't come back. Till January. So I'm like, God, I'm on a lone island over here. And I really was thinking about what made this year so hard for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was doing all the tasks that like aren't the reason I went into business. Like I went into business because I love the clinical picture. I love working with clients. I love learning. I love teaching. I love supervising. Oh, oh we're like cut from the same cloth, Jamie. All those things. I love those <laughs> things too. And I wish my listeners could see you. This is one drawback of the podcast. Jamie smiles the whole time she's talking. Like she's so <laughs> passionate. So such a, so refreshing. <laughs> And I think, so this week I I was getting into that because this week I decided that I'm not going to be like the only one running it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do a profit share with the girls that have been around for a long time that helped me run things. And I am handing off every, I'm handing off payroll. I'm handing off billing. I'm handling off scheduling. I am handling off like the weekly supervision. And I plan on doing like group supervision and EMDR for the practice. And I'm just going to see my clients do intensives and focus on like being the trainer that I want to be. And since I made that decision, I'm like, I just feel so much freer. Now there's a million things I'm going to have to do in the next three weeks before I can actually breathe to set the plan in motion. To make that happen and to delegate. Like You can get your feelings and needs met. And that's why I'm also passionate about the work I do because I see a therapist. All of you therapists out there need to see a therapist. If you aren't seeing a therapist, you're not going to be doing your best work because our stuff comes up the time. All the time. All the time. Such great advice. She is dropping it today. And (laughs) I'm going to talk to you after this show because of learning how to delegate. I have to do the very same thing you just said. So we'll connect. And I will give you tips and tricks that will, my business partner, Elizabeth in my business in Missouri, that's brave. So I guess we should probably, Brave Counseling and Psychiatry is an individual therapy practice. And they also provide medication management in Missouri. They're in Columbia, Missouri, Mm -hmm. which is a very progressive little town in a very red state. Okay. Uh, So it's interesting. I loved Brave because in Missouri, there are very few practices that are loud and proud LGBT, loud Mm -hmm. and proud like anti-abortion, like women's issues. And that's my girl, Liz. She was like, no, we're going to be the practice that we don't agree with any of this stuff, which in a, a state that's that red, is really hard. Like for me as a New Yorker, that's just like how everyone feels around here. We're like, you don't feel that way. But in Missouri, that's a very big shift from the dominant culture there. So I love that team. They're so passionate about the people that they serve and being diverse and accepting of all people. We have a nurse, psychiatric nurse practitioner there. That's part of the Muslim community who is going to go for EMDR training just because of everything that's happening right now in Palestine and how traumatizing it is for her community and wanting to be the people that help. And that's also what I love about both of my businesses. The people that we hire are passionate people. They're in this because they love the people they work with. And I think they stay with us because under the trauma umbrella, I really feel like all mental health is trauma. Mm -hmm. 
if you didn't experience something, you're probably not feeling depressed or anxious or any of that stuff. And having everyone focus in on their specialty within trauma, Asia wants like refugees and war zone stuff. And I have a clinician, Seth, who's super focused on religious trauma. Shout out to Seth Showalter. He wrote a book called Finally Free, A Surrender to Authenticity. It's about his journey through conversion therapy. It's his actual It's his actual journal from when he was in conversion therapy and his reflections now as a therapist. It's an amazing read. So we have some really awesome people on my team who are all super passionate about what they're passionate about. And I think what makes us different is we're okay with that. We're Mm -hmm. like, everyone should work with the people that they're going to do the best work with because it lights up. And our clients, because if we're really being our authentic selves and we've been through this before, Like how beneficial is that for your clients to have a therapist that is a gay man that had to go through conversion therapy and struggled with religious trauma. And that's exactly what you're struggling with. Oh my God. It's so much easier to let that mask down. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. And Jamie, that is just goes right back to that sense of being heart-centered, being relatable and showing up for your clients without pretense. We're not talking about without boundaries, but with, without like just being bringing what you can from your experience and your training to the table. And look at that. That's amazing what your colleague Seth does. So I'm sure people are going to want to read his book. That's so cool. (laughs) He's great. But yeah, that is so part of being heart-centered is just showing up and, and doing the work you're passionate about. And I think I don't know for you, Sydney, but that's part of why I started a private practice because I didn't want to treat everyone under the sun. Like working in a clinic, they'd give you people with schizophrenia. They'd give you people Mm -hmm. with all of these multifaceted issues. And I'd have 70 clients on my calendar in the week. There's no way to be the best therapist when you're doing a multitude of issues. You cannot be skilled in every area. And I think I just felt better when I focused on the things that I knew I liked working with and interest me because mm-hmm. then I liked thinking about it. And then if all my clients are generally the same type of person, it makes it easier to feel like, oh, wow, I'm doing really good work and not feel so I don't know what to do in this situation because I've never dealt with someone with active hallucinations. or <laughs> Exactly. And it, when you feel better about your work, then we have less burnout. We have more satisfaction with our work, with our jobs, less burnout. And then we start to connect also with colleagues who are in similar places. And I really see that you are, are also a heart-centered leader because look at these colleagues that you draw to your group practices, right? That's amazing. And it it really says a lot. And I know you said before, you're just straight up who you are, but this took a while, Jamie. Like you said, you, you write on your website. She puts this on her website, guys. As a woman who has struggled with imposter syndrome most of my life and feeling not good enough in just about every department, motherhood, as a partner, as a boss, as an employee, as a friend, legit, you name it, I am beyond passionate about the transformative healing that takes place in EMDR. Okay. First off, everything you just said makes us think, what? You cannot be an imposter because you are so good (laughs) and real at what you do. But this is the truth, right? We feel these different things. It's so true. And most of the most of the successful people I have talked to have this feeling of I'm a fraud. I'm going to be found out, right? When I started my group practice, I never supervised everyone. I've never even been in a management role. I was terrified. And I was like, okay, you're a good clinician and you're just going to study and do the best you can and just learn to overcome and power through and get there. But yeah, the reason I'm power, really passionate about EMDR mm-hmm. is because I do EMDR. When I went to the EMDR training, because I think this is why I am so, like explains why I'm so passionate because I feel like people go to that training and if you don't get any personal connection with it or feel any sort of change, it is intensive, really protocol-based work Mm -hmm. that you're probably not going to buy into unless you feel the change. So for me, I went when I was pregnant with my second son My first child was about two and a half, but we had to do IVF. I knew from 18, I was going to have issues having kids. Mm -hmm. 
So then of course, as soon as someone tells you you're going to have issues having kids, I was like, I want to be a mom. That's all I ever wanted to be in my whole life was a mom. Aww. And we had to do IVF and it was very stressful. And his whole pregnancy, even though like I never, I had never miscarried. I had never had, they never figured out why I had infertility issues. Mm. Just felt like, what if something happens? And what if this doesn't go well? And I'm going to have to go through that horrible experience of mm. if you, if ladies, if you have not been or and gents, because therapists aren't only females, obviously, but if you haven't been through IVF or know anyone that's been through that process, it is highly traumatic. There's yeah. actually studies that show that women struggling with infertility have like the same levels of PTSD as cancer patients. Because mm. if you think about this, guys, as women, we are told that our worth is based on our ability to be moms, pretty right. much right? Yeah. to to be moms. And if you can't be a mom, it's okay. Your partner is disappointed with you. You're disappointing yourself. Your whole life picture is shattered. Your family, well, and friends, meaning or not, I know for a lot of women, they'll get, oh, when are you trying? When are you trying? I wish people would stop asking that because it was like a dagger in the heart. Every Uh time someone would say to me like, oh, when are you guys going to have kids? I wish Jesus would tell me because I don't know. (laughs) You know, like not for lack of trying. Yeah. And it's so gutting when then people ask you these inappropriate questions all the time. Do you have kids or? Yeah. And it's really hard. So I went for my EMDR. I'm sorry, guys. I'm also ADHD. So I'm all over the place. But I went for my EMDR training when I was like only a month pregnant with my my second son. So we had just gone for IVF. It just took and I just found out. But I had all of that same dread of something happens. And I couldn't still let myself relax. And I did my training with my partner on my infertility issues and feeling like, my body is broken, I think was my negative belief. And in the training, it went from me and all of my anxieties about the pregnancy and what could go wrong. And then what, what happened is my brain flashed forward, all of these beautiful, positive images about carrying my first son and him latching immediately, like when I went to breastfeed him and the bond that we have and The fact that I was able to have a pretty healthy pregnancy with him and he came out healthy and fine and okay. And that pregnancy, guys, I was so much less anxious. Like I didn't ruminate. I wasn't like up all night worrying about what could happen. It was just like, that's a thought and I could dismiss it. And before that, therapy used to feel to me like, I have all these coping skills and tools and strategies to whack down these thoughts and argue with them and try to make myself feel differently, but I never felt differently. So the thoughts would just keep coming up and it becomes like you're a hamster on a wheel, just like replaying Mm -hmm. the same things or like playing whack-a-mole. Like the thought comes up, you go, that's not true because of this. You knock it down. And then another thought comes up, knock it down and it comes up and it just feels so mentally draining you're fatigued, you're tired, you're just run down. And I feel like if you haven't experienced anxiety, it's hard for people to understand that chronic stress feeling of, I can't get my body to calm down. My muscles are chronically tight. My chest is just tight. My, my everything just feels so off and my brain won't shut off. I don't know if you've ever had anyone say to you, have you struggled with anxiety ever? Yes, absolutely. I have. So as you're saying that, I I know exactly what you're describing. And as you describe that, it's that's untenable, unsustainable for a pregnant woman, right? And so you're, it's amazing how life-changing that was for you to have that EMDR experience. And not just for me, for Mm -hmm. my children, because there was a major difference in how my firstborn Michael came out the womb. Like he's anxious he could not be put down. Oh. That baby was carried in a wrap for 10 months. He's a beautiful, smart kid, right. but I swear he is me through and through. He'll be okay. because okay. But then yeah. he came out my second. He gets anxious, but the level of anxiety between my firstborn and my secondborn mm-hmm. is notable. And I think that's because my first pregnancy, my cortisol levels were through the freaking roof. Right. My second pregnancy... I wasn't chronically stressed. So that baby didn't have 
constant cortisol, like mm-hmm. helping his developing brain. So he came out different yeah. and, and realizing that and seeing my children grow and then realizing how this was effective for me. I was like, Oh, I have sensory issues. And my son has my firstborn Michael has sensory issues. For those of you who don't know what sensory issues are, it's like sensory overload. So mm-hmm. that could be like light sensitivity or hearing sensitivity or textures were are a big thing for us, like certain foods and clothing textures are a no. But when Michael would yell, it would trigger me and I would get in that dysregulated body. And when I was dysregulated, he couldn't come. Hmm. So I started doing EMDR with a therapist on what is this triggering in me from my childhood? What is this bringing up in me? And I was better able to then when he's screaming, be like in a calm body. Like I didn't have that chest tightness. So he was able to calm. And then I was like, why am I working with kids? I should be working with parents because moms. If we could work with the parents, then they can help the kids. And I've, I've worked with kids. I started out with kids. I started out six and up. And then I worked in, um, I got into trauma work, working in a residential treatment center for Mm -hmm. female teens, but they were like the female teens that were too bad for the alternative schools. Like they were placed either through the department of justice or or like out of home placement. A lot of them Mm -hmm. lived there. So they were very traumatized kids. And I loved that work because I was a trauma kid. And then when I became a mom, I was like, oh God, if I could just work with the moms, then we could prevent them all from be feeling the way that we felt. And then those moms have that feeling of guilt of, oh, I screwed up my kids too, right? Because I feel parents, that's every parent I talk to, that's their biggest fear. I'm going to mess up my kids. I'm going to mess them up. Right, right. Or I'm a bad mom or because my, my kid doesn't want to go to school on time or any little thing, right? Suddenly you're like, oh, this means I'm really a terrible mom. Oh yeah. And it's not just moms. Like my husband yesterday morning, my son didn't do his homework the night before. And with his sensory issues, he has fine motor difficulties. Mm -hmm. So he's in kindergarten, but it's hard for him to grip a pencil and write. So if he's not in a good window of tolerance, I don't make him do his homework because it's going to be an explosion. And he's in kindergarten, man. What I'm yeah. trying to do is build the self-confidence for him to just feel confident in school, right? He'll learn his ABCs and he'll learn how to write eventually. Mm-hmm. And my husband was like, he didn't do his homework last night. We have to do it this morning. We're going to look like bad parents. And he had that anxiety of oh. like, you know, be like, we'll just double up on the homework tomorrow, honey. It's okay. Like he can do the homework tonight when he gets home and we'll hand it in on Friday. Like it's not going to- You're so regulated. You can calm everybody in your household down. (laughs) That's a funny thing, Sydney, because what my team will say to me all the time is like, when do you take care of you? Mm. Because as much as I preach this and I am a work in progress, guys, we all are. I'm not a perfect human because as much as I'm like, oh yeah, you have to take care of yourself and you need to go to the gym and you need to do this and you need to do that. And you got to put your mask on first to keep taking care of all of these people and be as awesome as you are. I'm going to tell you at least like once every three months I fall off the wagon and my team has to be like, Hey girl, you got to feed yourself again. Go back to the gym. You fell off. Like we got right. it Ask for help. Yeah. And, and they nudge me and they prompt me because no one is ever going to be perfect. And I also don't like presenting myself like I'm a perfect human because I'm not. I still have my own struggles. I still get frustrated. I still fall off the self-care wagon, even though I know that it's detrimental. I just get back on quicker. Yes, you know? exactly. That's all we can aspire for. Like progress is on. straight line up. It is up and it's peaks and valleys. And that's, right. that's we've got to embrace the messy. We really yeah. do. And it is a strength when we get back up. And you have a really great self-care episode on your podcast where you, people can listen more to just that description of what it's like, right? Because we mess up too, or we fall off, or just like you said, you can go back and tell your team, I'll take care of myself once I delegate everything. So there's some of that. We're always, it is hard when you have that work ethic and you're workaholic and you've got just multi-passionate, right? Like I'm that way too. And so it's, I want to do all these things. And then the next thing, like you asked, you said, do you have anxiety? Like yesterday I was just so anxious and I couldn't even figure out why. 
right? I had a good day the day before and there was no reason I wasn't going to have a good day, but my nervous system. And sometimes we can't understand it. So for you to share how this EMDR impacted you at such a vulnerable time, one month pregnant with your IVF baby, like that's huge. And I love that you're sharing this amazing therapy with so many other moms. That's it's so great. My whole team does it now. So we oh. use called Suffolk Family Therapy. We changed to Long Island EMDR in my New York practice because once I was super passionate about it, I wouldn't shut up. So they were all like, okay, I'll take the training. And then we all collectively trained together and just talked about how it was affecting our clients. And everyone saw, like clients make progress no matter what modality you're using if you're a good therapist. But for us, the difference is really like how quickly they can make that progress. How quickly not only do they get that insight, but then they can actually make the changes. Because I feel like in traditional therapy, from gaining the insight to actually implementing consistently, the behavioral changes can take a really, really long time. And we've seen clients that have come for weekly therapy, and it may take them a while to gain the insight enough to get into the EMDR to know what their core beliefs are. But three, three months of EMDR and they're usually like pretty good. I've had clients that have come in and done only a couple weeks of sessions where we closed out like one target and they're already like subclinical on the PCL5, which measures PTSD guys. It's really effective. If you could have someone come in and they're having nightmares and you can desensitize that so they don't have nightmares moving forward. If you can make that big of a change in someone's body, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Huge quality of life improvement. And like you said, it's really a therapy that that has these embodied changes for your clients. What were you going to say? I said, I'm sorry. Uh, just, I wanted to ask you because you said something really important, Jamie, about for many therapists who see EMDR or do a training, right? And it's a, so protocol based and all of this, it, they may not really get it or not completely dive into it. It's scary. It's hard. It's all of that. And you said it's really important to experience it yourself. So I know people listening are going to be like, oh, I, I like her style. I want to give this a try. I have my, what would you advise someone who wants to learn EMDR? And I know there's like the proper type of certification you need, but also to experience EMDR therapy for themselves. Like how should somebody do it? I would say find an EMDR therapist, right? I don't recommend, there are things that you can find online that you can do self-administered EMDR. I am not a big proponent of that because you don't know what you're going to bring up and you really need someone skilled enough to wrap it back up and send it out into the world. Mm -hmm. What we have to remember too is an EMDR, right? We're going to places in the brain that we have dissociated from a very, very long time. So right. you might remember things or have like insight about things that are really difficult for you. And if you don't have another human to then help you work through that and you're dysregulated, no matter how good of a therapist you are, it's going to be really hard for you to come up with that plan. So please don't do self-administered EMDR. Find an Andrea trained therapist. That Andrea, is important. Right. Andrea is important. There are people that are trained through PESI and it's not the same rigor. It's not the same level. It's not the same at all. And it is a modality that if not used with caution and skill can really cause some damage mm -hmm. because it can bring up a lot of suicidal thoughts, a lot of self-harming thoughts. They don't necessarily recommend full protocol for people that are in early recovery stages of substance abuse mm -hmm. because it can or relapse. So you want to really just make sure that you're going to someone who's skilled and it's going to send you back into the world better than you came and not worse. So Andrea.org to find a good therapist. I would also say just listen to a good podcast on EMDR is Zero Disturbance. Cambria mm. runs Zero Disturbance. I love listening to Cambria. Would love to meet her one day. But yeah, she runs Zero Disturbance and she talks about how good EMDR is for everything. And she's really right. passionate about EMDR as not just for trauma, but as to help us just make more positive connections in our brain because our brains mm. are so wired to be like, what's the problem, right? For survival, that if we can help train our brains to be like, 
oh, what's going right and focus more on the things that are going right, we can strengthen all those positive things that we want to feel about ourselves, right? We can focus on all the experience that make us feel like I'm a great mom and I'm a great therapist and I'm a great friend instead of all the, the, the micro things that are like, okay, I'm a bad mom because they rolled their eyes. So now they must, they, they, they hate me. They hate me. Right. And we can there's the anxiety spiral right there. Right? And, and yeah, Jamie, that's so key. If we can increase those micro positive moments and things that we focus on and get our brains into that, that warm lit up place so much more. And EMDR isn't just about going back in the past and dragging yourself through. It's also about coming up with like future templates of how you want to see yourself. And what are some experiences in your life where you truly embodied like I am worthy or I am important or I matter, right? Like when is the time you're like, you really felt like that? And let's strengthen the connection with that so that we've, we recognize that more during the day. And just like you pick up on all those things that trigger those negative core beliefs, your brain's going to start picking up on all those things that are going to reinforce those positive beliefs. Yeah. And I think that's also a little different about our practices because we're not so, we don't do first or worst that's not our, the way that we go into EMDR, which is how most people are trained. Cause I do feel like if you have really hard experiences that you've been through in your life to do the first one or the worst one, mm-hmm. if that's your first experience with EMDR, that's terrifying guys. Right. Like yeah. you're going to be 10, your whole body's going to be dysregulated. I don't want to introduce it to clients like that. I'm like, all right, let's pick something where we're at like a five and I'm going to get you down to a one or a zero. And then you have some buy-in and then the client's exactly. like, right. then the client, oh, okay. I feel so much better. And they're willing to do that deeper, harder stuff because they can tell that there's going to be a payoff. Exactly. Uh, we have to have some wins and you can just see like what an expert therapist you are, right? Like being able to manage that tolerance and to give the client some wins and the buy-in and who wouldn't want that to even have five and then be able to drop down to zero, right? In, in, oh God, 40 minutes. Yeah. Amazing. For most of us walking around in chronically stressed bodies, right? If we can take that, if our anxiety is normally at an eight and we can even bring it down to a three or a four, heck, if you can do three days with somebody and bang all that out so that maybe you're not at a zero, you're still going to be bothered sometimes, but you're going to be bothered at a level of a four, which feels more like a flyer swatting away than an elephant sitting on your chest. Like that is marked difference in your functioning level Mm. every day after. And that's the beautiful part about EMDR to me, like the rapidness of change and the physiology of that change. It's not just, it doesn't take as much mental energy to keep focusing on, I'm going to try to be positive. I'm going to focus on all the things I can be grateful for. That's energy. That's effort. If your brain can just go to all the things you're grateful for, girl, you won't feel so much better. Yeah. And then it's that embodied place. Like it's part of you. Um, Yeah. And I love that the EMDR as you propose, it doesn't have to just be for trauma, right? So if, if you were having like a struggle with something else, with a friend or with a partner or with your business, I don't know which direction to go. You could bring that as a topic to EMDR, correct? Oh, for sure. I've done EMDR on uh, business owners who have terrible imposter syndrome and just help them to strengthen all of the positive connections, all the things they've overcome and how they truly are an expert and all the ways that they've succeeded so that they don't feel like they're a fraud anymore in their bodies, not just in their brains. That's the difference. Right. Um, And in your relationships, right? Like when we think about people pleasers, if we go back to them, people pleasers, If we're not asking for what we need, we're going to chronically feel like our feelings and needs don't matter because our needs and feelings are never validated or met. Never seen. Exactly. Never, ever seen. But the anxiety about asking for that help, right? If you go to ask your spouse or your, your parent or a boss or colleague or whoever for help and you're at an eight, I've been there, guys. Like I've wanted to talk to my dad specifically about things and told my therapist, like, yeah, I'm going to do it this week. Yeah, I'm going to do it this week. Yeah, I'm going to have that conversation. But every time I got on the phone, I just felt like I was, I was going to like, my whole body got tight. My chest hurt. It felt like I couldn't speak. And doing EMDR made it so that I was no longer at an eight and I was uncomfortable that a four 
but I was able to get the words out and have the conversation and then allow for him to validate and make me feel better and make the changes oh. so that I continue to feel that way. Oh, how nice. And that's what we're working on. It's not taking everything away. It's not a cure-all. It's not going to remove all the stress in your life. If that's what you're looking for, there's no answer to that. Life is always exactly. just stressful, guys. Right. But <laughs> how to advocate for yourself and get your needs met. Every stressor doesn't feel like a fire. Yeah. It's just, it feels like, oh, okay, there's a stress and now I can go into solution mode and now that's solved and I can move on with my day and leave it alone. But when we have that equanimity would be amazing to not always be putting out the fires. And I know, Jamie, so many people are going to listen to this and think, oh, I wish I could work with her. And you're only (laughs) doing intensives for new clients now. You have to be in New York, right? New York. You have to be in New York. What we are doing is we can have people fly in and set them up in a nice hotel with a spa and all the things and we can go to them. I honestly really recommend for anyone who has the time and has a specific issue, if you know what you want to work on, what you want to change, what makes that body discomfort really uncomfortable. And you're like, this is what I want to rid my life of. If you know what that is and you have the time and and the finances to bang that out, I really recommend doing an intensive, whether it's me or someone else that does intensives in your area, because when we do weekly therapy, if you think about it, if you've been sexually abused or had a parent die by suicide, or really people have been through hard things, guys, been in war zones, like a refugee. If you're going through hard stuff and you have to open that up, right? You're going to meet with your therapist. Think about how many of us go and meet with our therapist on our lunch break. And then we go right back into the world, right? Your brain doesn't integrate. It doesn't integrate. Doesn't integrate. And your brain's not going to allow you to think about those horrible, deep, like your worst moments and go right back into the day. I know my brain won't. Mm -hmm. I've tried it. And it's a really uh, great way to talk about intensives and why they can be so powerful. Yeah. Because think about that. So you're either going back to work or let's just even say it's after work. Okay, so you get off of work, you go meet with your therapist for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. But you also know, okay, I know for me, before I even leave the office, I'm like, I got to go home, I got to pick up the kids, I got to make dinner, I got to give them baths, I got to do all these things. So again, you're not going to let yourself really collapse and be vulnerable and put it all on the table, because you got to be back on in an hour and a half. So if you can take the time to give yourself no responsibilities and an actual like few days to just focus on you and what you need so you can go deep without feeling like the world is going to crumble. I highly recommend it because it's just as effective as a year's worth of therapy. They've done studies Mm -hmm. uh, a year out and it's just as effective guys. So if you have the time and the money, heck, fly out here. We'd be happy to see that's um, great. Tell Long everyone, Jamie, what's that? The Long Island is beautiful. Um, yes, Long <laughs> Island. That's right. Show some New York love. So, Jamie, I just am so grateful that you could spend time with us today in the middle of an intensive to take a break and share with my listeners your joy, your passion for EMDR, for therapy, for life that just is so clear that it comes through in your warmth and your desire to help people and especially to help moms and parents so that they don't feel like imposters, so that they can see that they are really good at who they are and what they're doing. And it's just been so refreshing to hear about this and to get excited about EMDR on so many levels. So thank you again. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners where people can find you, the Long Island EMDR therapy website and all of that. Thank you, Sydney. It's been a it's been a really great talk. I've loved every minute of it. So you can find us at www.liemdr.com. We will also have a pop-up workshop coming up there that will focus exploring your beliefs and the messages you got through society and your family that contribute to maybe why you don't feel good enough or feel like an imposter, as well as some tips and strategies on like how to set clear 
boundaries and communicate and what to do if that's not working, right? So you can find that on our website at www.liemdr.com. You can also give us a call at 631-503-1539. And if you're located in Missouri, you can actually get some EMDR therapy over at Brave Counseling and Psychiatry as well. They are www.brave-mo.com. And their number is 573-825-6441. Oh, awesome. This is real life. We are giving you phone numbers here too. And everything (laughs) will be in the show notes as well. And don't forget to also check out her podcast, Good Enough with the Trauma Therapist. And yes, Jamie, this has been great. I look forward to another chance to talk to you more. I think our next shared episode will be about entrepreneurship and maybe for folks who are interested in starting group practice. So stay tuned for that. I'm excited for that, Sydney. Thank you so much for having me on today. I adore your show and your listeners. It's been amazing. Thank you. I hope you loved this episode with Jamie Vollmiller as much as I did. She is so great. I love her energy. The biggest thing that I love about her is that she's so relatable and she's this way with her clients, with her friends and family, and in her business. And I think that is the takeaway for us as heart-centered therapists. How can we be more relatable in our lives? And Jamie gave us really good advice about what that takes. It means we have to work on ourselves. We have to look at our own stuff that gets in the way, that causes us to feel like imposters or not good enough. My challenge to you is we can do this. What do you want to do about it? Maybe you want to see a therapist, maybe get back into therapy, maybe try a different type of therapy. I love how she described the power of EMDR in her life and in her clients' lives. So it's the challenge of being relatable and showing up. And I would love for you to let me know what you thought of this episode and what you want to hear more of. Feel free to reach out to me and send me a DM on Instagram at Heart Centered Therapist. Until next week, stay heart centered. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.